The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. My father once told me to succeed, we need only pick a star and follow it. And so Wayne Enterprises is donating the world's most advanced telescope to Gotham's Observatory Restoration Project. With any luck, this telescope will give future generations a chance to follow their own stars. Miss, you need to stop. Out of my way, you fascist bulldog. You have to have an appointment to see Miss I don't Boy. need an appointment. Uh, miss, you're not authorized to be up here. Uh, look, we, uh, she doesn't have a pass, sir. A little overly protective, but you're not going to hurt me, are you, miss? Doctor. Pamela Isley. Doctor? What can I do for you? Actually, I already work for you, or did. Your arboreal preservation project in South America. Hmm? We cut our funding. It was a conflict of ideologies. Dr. Woodrow was a lunatic. I see you knew him. Yes, I did. That lab burned to the ground last week. I'm glad you managed to escape. I have here a proposal showing how Wayne Enterprises can immediately cease all actions that toxify our environment. Forget the stars. Look here at the Earth, our mother, our womb. She deserves your loyalty and protection. And yet, you spoil her lands, poison her oceans, blacken her skies. You're killing her. Well, your intentions are noble, but no diesel fuel for heat, no coolants to preserve food. Millions of people would die of cold and hunger alone. Acceptable losses in the battle to save the planet. People come first, Dr. Eisen. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, March the 12th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be There's no doubt that many honest people have been misled into believing that we're in the midst of a man-made climate emergency. That when healthy skepticism is confronted with hostility, censorship, threats, accusations of denial, and increased climate change propaganda, it's up to those being so accused to challenge that intolerance in a climate of freedom and free speech. Over the course of the past few weeks, I've been working to prepare for a dinner event that the Freedom Party of Ontario will be hosting in London next month, an event based on the issue of climate change and that will feature speakers Dave Plum, Salim Mansour, and Paul McKeever, who have all been past contributors to this show on numerous occasions. And by the way, if you live in the area and are interested in attending that event, scheduled for April 18th, just visit www.freedomparty.on.ca to get all the information you need to attend. Or you can contact us directly and we'll send you the relevant information. And with that consideration in mind, always remember that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, which includes iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And of course, be sure to drop in for a visit at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of our social media links and our archive broadcasts. But no matter where or how you listen to Just Right, do consider offering your financial support to our efforts by clicking on the relevant PayPal link. 
And while supplies last, everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of the 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials, written and published by Dave Plum. So be sure to include your snail mail address with any donations. The philosophy and politics underlying the so-called issue of climate change demands our attention and our condemnation. It's not something that you can just dismiss and then assume it'll go away. Fighting climate change, as always, is merely one of many distractions that politicians are using to foist various forms of collectivism on us. Everything from communism to socialism to fascism, which all mean very specific things. Things that are completely in line and consistent with what is being advocated through climate change alarmism. The whole movement of fighting climate change is one built on outright lies, deceptions, and false arguments. It is also built on preventing the truth from being heard, which is why it is such an evil, evil ideology. One of the most offensive commentaries I've run across in a long time with regard to climate change was a January 22nd editorial penned by columnist Gwyn Dyer in the pages of the London Free Press as a special to Post Media News, which now owns that paper. Financiers of climate change denial campaigns will face justice, reads the headline. And I quote, U.S. President Donald Trump's speech to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland contained no surprises. Half an hour of chest-thumping self-praise, although without the usual xenophobia and dog-whistle racism. He downplayed his climate denial at a conference whose theme this year is sustainability. But you couldn't help wondering what the audience was thinking. Most of them are owners or senior managers of businesses with global reach, and their views on economic issues often chime with Trump's. In the past, they echoed his views on climate change as well, because taking it seriously threatened their business models. But they're not stupid. Some of them knew the science was right and muddied the waters to win a few more decades of profit. Others drank the Kool-Aid and truly believed for a while it was a Chinese-sponsored hoax. But they know it's not the Chinese who are melting the glaciers and setting Australia on fire. End quote. Then, in a complete non-sequitur, Dyer brings up some past sins of specific corporations naming Boeing Airlines, quote, over how it slid the now-grounded 737 MAX past the FAA regulators, end quote, and four major cigarette companies who, quote, ended up paying out $206 billion over 25 years and were legally obliged to stop advertising aimed at young people, limit their lobbying, and fund anti-smoking campaigns, end quote. And then he continues, that was a case where the main victims were people who used the product. The public pressure to punish companies whose activities have harmed everyone's future will be far greater. If new and retrospective legislation is required, it will be passed. There will be a metaphorical tons of damning internal email chatter about how a great many companies conspired to cast doubt on the scientific evidence for global warming over a period of several decades. In this case, we're not talking about just fines, although they may ultimately be immense and even crippling. We're also talking about criminal liability. Even if we finally start taking serious measures against global warming now, a lot of people are going to die from the damage that has already been done. Millions at least, and possibly a great many more than that. Most of them will live in developing countries and have no access to the legal systems of the countries where the corporate headquarters are. But enough people will die in the rich countries that those who led or financed the denial campaign will almost certainly end up facing criminal charges 10 or 20 years from now. 
end quote. Wow. Imagine that. Conspiracy to cast doubt is now proposed to be a crime. And that's criminal in and of itself. What about conspiracy to cast belief in something that proves to be false? Should that be a crime? And if conspiracy to cast doubt can be considered a crime, then Gwen Dyer himself should be charged with a similar crime immediately for having written such an editorial. He, along with all climate alarmists, has conspired to cast certainty about an issue, the future state of climate on planet Earth, that is impossible to predict. He has also spread false news about and hatred towards the President of the United States. He portrays Trump's speech to the World Economic Forum in Davos as a half-hour of chest-thumping self-praise, although without the usual xenophobia and dog-whistle racism. Well, this is slanderous and libelous, given that it's eminently clear that Trump is no racist, nor does he suffer from xenophobia. It continues to amaze me how journalists can simply get away with accusations of racism and be completely unaccountable for them. Chest-thumping? Self-praise? I have a recording of that event, and here's what Trump actually said. And I can't, the, the, the clip is too long to play, but here's the basic essence of it. First, he announced negotiating a trade deal with the European Union. And he would say things like, the president of the Swiss Confederation is very nice and terrific. He praised many of the presidents of Mideastern countries and their business leaders. Beyond that, he fielded numerous questions from the media about the ongoing impeachment trial, which he called a total hoax and a disgrace. But I'll leave it to the Senate, for which I have great respect, Trump then said. Trump did cite the low unemployment rates in America during his presidency, which are a fact. So does doing that amount to chest-thumping and self-praise? One of the media members questioned Trump about his criticism of climate change icon Greta Thunberg, whom apparently Trump suggested was in need of some quote-unquote anger management. She beat me out in Time magazine, Trump commented. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen her speak, but the climate change alarmists have raised their demands to a level that is unrealistic. People can't live their lives, he commented. We want to have the cleanest water on Earth, the cleanest air on Earth, Trump said. Our environmental record is great. We have to address the pollution in other countries, and Greta should focus on those places. Even when one member of the media began asking Trump a question, he interrupted her to say, oh, by the way, congratulations on your show. Other issues that were raised was human rights in Hong Kong, what Trump would do after Iran, and throughout the whole event, Trump treated the media with complete respect and kept praising various leaders of other countries throughout, including Britain's Boris Johnson. Trump immediately responded with a resounding yes when he was asked about his intentions regarding additional travel bans. Remember, this is in the middle of January. He said, we have to be safe. Our country has to be safe. Just see what's going on in the world. And he said the countries involved would be announced shortly. And now, of course, we know in retrospect that one of those countries was China due to its coronavirus problem, which we discussed last week on the show. Trump cited the impeachment hoax as a major cause of his increasing poll numbers and increasing contributions to the Republican Party. And he even went so far as to say, get this, that Bill Clinton should never have been impeached despite the lies Clinton told. Trump then made it clear that with regard to his impeachment, no lies were ever told, nor were any crimes committed, and then he thanked the president of Ukraine for agreeing to release a transcript of the conversation between them. 
The press is so corrupt and so dishonest in our country, Trump said. If we could straighten out the press in our country, we would have a place that would be so incredible. The press is so dishonest, so corrupt. I don't mind bad stories. I deserve bad stories sometimes. But when I do something great or good, let it be written about good. Same with other people. The corruption in the fake news media is unbelievable. Exposing the corruption, said Trump, was one of the greatest things I've done for our country, quote-unquote. So you can see why someone like Gwynne Dyer hates Trump. Gwynne Dyer, whose columns I collect, are pretty much fake news and commentary. They fall into the media exhibit A. Dyer accused Trump of downplaying his climate denial. You know, suddenly climate change denial has been abbreviated into simple climate denial, which, by the way, speaks to the epistemological root of this issue, which I'll address when our show winds up later today. But more to the point, I also have recordings of Trump totally acknowledging that climate change is real, but simply not accepting the fact that climate change will lead to the catastrophes predicted by people like Dyer. Owners of senior managers of businesses echoed his views on climate change as well, because taking it seriously threatened their business models, argued Dyer. Well, no, the reason they echoed Trump's view on climate change is because they know that Trump is right. But Dyer's socialist agenda is revealed in this comment when he suggests that taking climate change seriously, meaning taking the totalitarian measures that climate alarmists want to impose seriously, is a threat to business models. And it is. Of course, the unspoken model of business that Dyer won't identify is capitalism. Capitalism is not a business model. It is a moral model. Capitalism is the name given to an economic condition that arises in a political, social, and economic environment of freedom. Capitalism is an enemy of dishonest business people and of fraudulent business practices. It is always collectivism that ends up supporting both of these market evils, and Dyer's a collectivist to the core in everything he writes. Even if we finally start taking serious measures against global warming now, a lot of people are going to die from the damage that's already been done, asserted Dyer. But of course, the evidence proves the opposite, as we'll demonstrate later in the show today. And by the way, evidence of global warming or global cooling does not provide an argument for reducing CO2 in our atmosphere or for switching from fossil fuels to so-called renewable energy sources. These two things are unconnected. But perhaps the most offensive part of Dyer's diatribe was his wish, disguised as a prediction, that those who let her finance the denial campaign will almost certainly end up facing criminal charges 10 or 20 years from now. And he cited how a great many companies conspired to cast doubt on the scientific evidence for global warming over a period of several decades, and he called for those opposed to the politically correct narrative on climate change to be punished, not talking just about fines, but also talking about criminal liability. Well, Dyer's attitude is typical of climate change alarmists everywhere. Rather than welcome an open and informed dialogue on climate, they would punish those who do not participate in their politically correct narrative. How dare you angrily threaten climate icon Greta Thunberg at the UN last September, which is what we'll be hearing and responding to next. 
Does your parent, grandparent, or political representative suffer from climate change denial disorder? CCDD is a rapidly spreading disease that world health officials say, if left untreated, could destroy the entire planet. Climate change denial disorder is a rapidly spreading disease that attacks the neurons, making it impossible to comprehend basic words like world, melting, not good, science, and factual. They say the temperatures are higher than normal these days. I think that's a bunch of new age hooey garbage. <laughs> it's snowing right now. Who cares if I'm in Southern California? I don't believe the ice caps are melting. I believe the polar bears are just getting fatter and weighing them down. Ever think of that, hippies? I'm not a scientist. Who listens to those nerds anyway? Droughts. We're fine! 56% of Republicans in Congress have been severely infected with CCDD and need your help immediately. They include Jim Inhofe, Lisa Murkowski, Steve Daines, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Joni Ernst, Rodney Davis, Mike Pompeo, Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul, Andy Harris, Ann Wagner, Jeff Sessions, Scott Garrett, Jimmy Fox, John Boehner, Bill Schuster, Paul Ryan, and many, many more. Doctors say the only known cure for CCDD is a Q-tip, so you or your Republican representative can clean the out of your ears so you'll be able to listen to scientists who know more about science than you do. Results may vary. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school, on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. The popular idea of cutting our emissions in half in 10 years only gives us a 50% chance of staying below 1.5 degrees and the risk of setting off irreversible chain reactions beyond human control. 50% may be acceptable to you, but those numbers do not include tipping points, most feedback loops, additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution or the aspects of equity and climate justice. They also rely on my generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of your CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. So a 50% risk 
is simply not acceptable to us, we who have to live with the consequences. To have a 67% chance of staying below a 1.5 degrees of global temperature rise, the best odds given by the IPCC, the world had 420 gigatons of CO2 left to emit back on January 1st, 2018. Today that figure is already down to less than 350 gigatons. How dare you pretend that this can be sold with just business as usual and some technical solutions? With today's emissions levels, that remaining CO2 budget will be entirely gone within less than eight and a half years. There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. You are failing us, but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up, and change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. Did you hear that? That was an outright threat. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line, whether you like it or not. Really? What a sanctimonious piece of evil drivel that was. And I use the word evil because evil is that which is anti-life. Evil is that which requires the initiation of the use of force by some against others. Evil is in the propagation of lies and falsehoods. Evil is that which avoids and evades judgment, but which judges without accountability or reason. Evil supports censorship and the silencing of voices in opposition to evil. Evil rides on the coattails of unrestrained emotion, emotion divorced from reality and reason, and all of these things apply to everything that Greta Thunberg said. As I've clearly stated on past broadcasts, she's been made the leader of a death cult. This is all wrong, she says. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Well, I totally agree with that opening statement, by the way. Yet you all come to us young people for hope, she says. Well, no, we don't. Your propagandist corporate handlers are using you and young people for propagandist purposes. How dare you, she says. You've stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Well, sorry, Greta, no one's stolen your childhood. And if you want to see how outrageous a, a, an accusation that is, check out a recent Rebel Media expose on just how much of a fairy tale life Greta's childhood actually has been. It's right out of a storybook. I kid you not. Then she says... You say you hear us and you understand the urgency, but no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that, because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. Well, I don't believe that she refuses to believe that her opponents are evil, otherwise she wouldn't have mentioned the word. I mean, isn't that kind of obvious? 
And then she says that our generation relies on her generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of our CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. How dare you pretend that this can be sold with just business as usual and some technical solutions, she says. Now, consider the utter hypocrisy and contradiction here. She just accused us, deniers, we deniers, of relying on her generation to suck CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist, while in her very next sentence saying that technology is no solution. Well, I've got news for her. Business as usual and technical solutions are always the best solution to a problem if that problem actually exists. But given that her problem is unreal and does not require a solution, certainly not one requiring removal of CO2 from our atmosphere, I mean, that's insane on its own merit, maybe we should you know, cut her some slack on suggesting that technical solutions will not address any of her fantasy problems, because that's true. Most significantly, her opposition to quote-unquote business as usual is yet another way of revealing the left's opposition to freedom and capitalism, which is the real agenda behind all of her accusations and judgment. That's what she wants to stop, business as usual. And then she has the nerve to say, quote, you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is, end quote. So, so here we have a 17-year-old dysfunctional and anger-driven teenager accusing adults who differ with her viewpoint of being immature. You are failing us, but young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you, and if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you, she says. You know, as, as if we're all sinners, guilty of evil acts, which is exactly what Thunberg is implying. In fact, by not doing what Thunberg wants us to do, we will be protecting future generations from the tyranny they advocate, as well as protecting life on this planet. And if there's any betrayal to be addressed, it is her generation's betrayal of the freedom and prosperity that her parents and their ancestors made possible. You know, more frightening than Thunberg herself is the fact that so many people actually take what she's saying seriously. And that's the real threat that faces us. So, we haven't really done a sketch about climate change. Yeah, we should do something about it. It's actually. good territory. Yeah. People love it online when you slam a right-wing climate science denier. What about a sketch where a climate denier doesn't believe climate scientists, but then also doesn't believe other experts, like dentists and neurosurgeons? <laughs> yeah. And like cashiers yes. at supermarkets. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, that'll be $38, please, madam. Uh, why should I believe you? Maybe it's $20. Where's the consensus? <laughs> yeah, like that. Yes. I have to say, I'm really glad we're doing a sketch about climate change because I personally don't do much to help. Yeah, right. What yeah, do you yeah. do? To be Cups? fair, what, what do any of us actually do? Uh, actually. Uh, so right-wing people aren't doing anything about climate change because they don't believe in it, but mm -hmm. we believe in it, and yet we're not doing anything about it. Mm. So, yeah. is that that's, worse? That's interesting. That worse. That's yeah. worse. Are we with the bad guy? I think we are, because at least right-wing people are consistent. Yeah. But, okay, no, but that's... Wait, it's not on us, is it? Mm. Like, so the change we could make if we did something about it would be, like, pretty small in comparison to, say if a corporation 
did something about climate change. Oh, okay, so do we d orientate the sketch toward corporations? It's like um, the way you go about it. Yeah. Like, oh, I love profits, but oh no, all my customers are dead. Yeah, corporate guy, yeah. <laughs> uh, hang on, um, are we just saying that we don't have to do anything because corporations do it worse? That's what yeah. we're saying. Yeah. Well, the onus is on them, isn't it? It's hard to know what the, the right angle of the sketch is without one side being a giant hypocrite. So it's something to think with. Okay. So let's do nothing and not make a sketch. Yes. Okay. Is that right? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. After lunch. Yeah, let's get lunch. Yeah, lunch. Let's get lunch. Yeah. I'm real yeah, hungry. Yeah, cool. Oh, we'll do that. Um, can we not get Uber Eats? I'm going to turn right wing so I can have a sandwich. The other day a friend asked me, Lou, are you worried about global warming? And I said, no, nah, man, I'm not worried. I have an air conditioner. Yeah, my friend didn't think that was funny either. Well, you should be worried, he said. In fact, you should be scared about climate change. Look, man, it's not my fault. The problem is all the people telling me I should be scared about climate change aren't acting scared enough. The world is gonna end in 12 years and you're taking another improv class? Yeah, because those skills are gonna come in super handy when the apocalypse comes. Can I get a suggestion? Yeah, learn hand-to-hand -hand combat and engine repair. You're a vegetarian? You better be open to cannibalism. If you say you're scared, could you please start acting scared? We're all the liberal doomsday preppers. All the doomsday preppers I've seen are conservatives. If you want me to take you seriously, I don't know, start stockpiling kombucha. Learn homeopathic emergency medical procedure. Prep it up. If you believe the flood's coming, Act like the flood's coming. Who the hell does a web series Kickstarter before a flood? Huh, millennial Noah? Buy a pair of swim wings. Do something, man. Especially if you're a celebrity. Sure, Leonardo DiCaprio's foundation is giving $100 million to save the planet, but I'm not impressed. That dude's loaded. Hey, Leo, if you really want me to listen, stop flying your private jet all over the world to have sex with supermodels. Actually, if the world is ending, sex with supermodels sounds pretty good. But if you care about the environment, you'll stop wasting fossil fuels and make love to locally sourced free range supermodels. And just to be clear, I believe in climate change. I'm just not going to pretend that it frightens me. You know, back during Hurricane Irma, police had to tell people not to shoot guns at the storm. And everyone laughed at those idiots when they should have been listening to those idiots. Because watching my fellow man idiotically and ineffectively fight a hurricane made me realize how silly it is to just do something without thinking through the efficacy and cost of that something. Turns out Florida man shooting a hurricane might be only a little less effective than a multimillionaire in a jet paying for carbon offsets. All joking aside, guys, climate change doesn't have to be this divisive. When President Trump pulled the United States out of the Paris Accord, my Facebook feed turned into an all-out thermonuclear war. But whether you were for the Paris Accord or against it, the one thing we can all agree on is that none of us read it. And that's a beautiful thing. I hope our ignorance can bring us together to stand up for humanity and defend it by shooting at the weather and having sex with supermodels. Did I get this right? 
You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Patrick Moore is the former chairman and co-founder of Greenpeace, perhaps among the world's leading environmental movements. And he wrote a very disturbing piece in the National Post this past February 13th. The headline read, Banned in Regina. And I must quote from this because this, this tells a story. Quote, Late last Friday, I was deplatformed for the first time in my 45 years of giving keynote speeches at conferences around the world. The city of Regina, which through my Speakers Bureau had signed a contract with me to kick off their Reimagine Regina conference in May, caved to local activists and told me I should stay home. In its announcement regarding my banishment, the city said it did not want, quote, to spark a debate on climate change, end quote. It said the stated goal of the conference is to, quote, make the city's facilities and operations 100% renewable by 2050, end quote. In other words, municipal officials wanted me to say what they wanted me to say and not what I wanted to say to them. But that's just not how I operate. Regina is one of at least 54 cities and towns in Canada that have declared a state of climate emergency. And I'm sad to say London, Ontario, my own hometown, is embarrassingly among them. This is political virtue signaling at its disingenuous best. The only people fleeing any emergency from these cities are doing so to escape the frigid winter by flying to a warmer country further south. Not a lot of Canadians from our southern regions are heading to Yellowknife or Inuvik. Northwest Territories to escape global warming. The climate emergency is at best a bad joke. It might even be amusing were it not threatening to ban the primary energy sources, natural gas, oil, and coal that provide 85% of global energy and make our civilization possible. Of the 195 countries recognized by the United Nations, Canada is the coldest, with an annual average temperature of minus 5.35 degrees centigrade. Russia is number two, only because it doesn't have islands situated near the North Pole. It strikes me as odd that the world's coldest country worries more about warming than the people of India, Brazil, or Saudi Arabia, where it really is warm. These countries don't have carbon taxes that punish farmers for fueling their tractors or policies that are aimed at destroying much of their country's natural resource sector, end quote. Patrick Moore then goes on to explain why he believes CO2 emissions from fossil fuels are beneficial to the planet. But I'll skip that part of his article because we'll be hearing that explanation in a few moments via an upcoming audio bite. But he concludes by writing, quote, The increase in CO2 due to our emissions has resulted in a greening of the planet and an expansion of forests. This is not contested. There is no doubt in my mind that on balance our CO2 emissions are 100% positive for the continuation of life on Earth. Commercial greenhouse growers around the world inject CO2 into their greenhouses to double and triple the concentration compared to present atmospheric levels. By doing so, they increase the growth and yield of their crops by 20 to 60 percent. This, too, is uncontested. I realize this is a hypothesis that not many people have heard about thanks to the wall of denial that has been created by the climate emergency crowd. I know that this analysis of CO2 history will eventually win the day, as it is provable fact. End quote. 
Well, based on my own research and knowledge of the issue, I completely agree with Moore's facts on CO2 and climate change, and I particularly commend him for going on the offensive and not merely playing the defensive role when it comes to CO2. He's not trying to just defend our right to create CO2, but actually saying it's a good thing. But unfortunately, I can't share his optimistic conclusion about any such argument, you know, quote-unquote, winning the day, since that would be winning the wrong war. Our real war is against collectivism, ignorance, evil, socialism, communism, and a myriad of anti-capitalist, anti-freedom ideologies, each and every one of them requiring the use of force and violence in order to make the larger general public accept them. And to such people, facts do not matter. I've interviewed numerous people on this very show who have made that same error. You know, the irony is, in their belief, the irony in their belief is that their conclusion was based on their quite correct knowledge and understanding of the real forces behind climate change. And they assumed that politicians would allow the science to settle the issue. Now, where have I heard that one before? <laughs> Irony of ironies. It's the very people on the left who are not allowing their opinions to be based on the science and who are demanding that we acquiesce, not to science, but to a so-called scientific consensus, artificially manufactured by the United Nations, which is an issue I'll be addressing in greater detail on a future episode of our show. There are very few heroes among us, people willing to tell the truth against an onslaught of fiction and outright lies. Worse, most people are unwilling to believe that so many people around them can be so evil, motivated by evil intentions, not mere ignorance or lack of knowledge. The fact that they wish to avoid such knowledge is evidence of the evil. <laughs> evil doesn't manifest itself in some devilish ways that most people imagine. It is to be found in each and every incidence of irrationality and in the abandonment of reason and the standard of life itself being the source of morality. And if Greta Thunberg feels comfortable using that word, we should too. But let's make sure that we're pointing our fingers at the real culprits. Consider the name of the conference that deplatformed Moore, Reimagine Regina Conference. In my experience, what all such reimaginings consist of, as far as I've seen to date, is the reimagining of our free and capitalistic nation as a state-controlled and socialist one. Moore's comments about Canada being the coldest country on earth parallels another hypocritical thing about Canada. Canadian politicians are committed to reducing global pollution and CO2 when Canada's contribution to the planet's percentage of this is negligible. China is the world's greatest polluter, the world's greatest decimator of wildlife on the land and fish in the oceans, the greatest enslaver of humanity on the globe, but it is continually ignored or even praised by the virtue signalers in the West, who in their virtue signaling are really telling us that they love tyranny and the fear, ignorance, and evil upon which it is based. Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has openly declared his admiration for China's system of government. Climate fight helps economy, read a March 3rd headline in a National Post story by Gabriel Friedman. And that was a statement made by Justin Trudeau. 
Quote, Appearing at an annual mining conference in downtown Toronto, Trudeau appeared at the conference one week after Tech Resources Limited cancelled its application for a permit to build a $20.6 billion mine in Alberta's oil sands, with its chief executive, Don Lindsay, citing a lack of clear policy in Canada about carbon taxes and other climate change legislation. The Prime Minister's appearance also came after weeks of protests temporarily stopping the construction of the coastal gas link pipeline in British Columbia and inspired dozens of other protests, including rail blockades that paralyzed parts of the country's economy. End quote. See, that's exactly how fighting climate change helps the economy, apparently. Everything about the fight against climate change is uneconomical and anti-wealth creation in the extreme. Just look at your electricity bills if you live in the province of Ontario. It's as if our politicians are living in some kind of alternate universe, one in which reality and reason do not apply. So shame on the city of Regina not only for deplatforming Patrick Moore, but also for declaring a climate change emergency when there is no need to do so. And shame on all of the other Canadian cities, including my own London, Ontario, for having resorted to this scare tactic in order to promote its political agenda. You should see the property tax hikes being proposed in my city of London these days. I mean, we have our own share of imaginative politicians, to be sure. So what could it possibly be that the city of Regina so feared to hear from Patrick Moore? Since they don't want us to hear Moore's message, well, it's only just that we do so in our continuous effort to arrive at the truth of a given situation. So let's actually be daring, as Greta Thunberg has accused us of being, by listening in to a few small segments of a presentation that he gave in Britain back in 2015. And at the time, Moore was introduced as a rational environmentalist, head of the energy and policy section of Frontier Public Policy, a leading Canadian think tank. As I've stated publicly on many occasions, there is no definitive scientific proof through real-world observation that carbon dioxide is responsible for any of the slight warming of the global climate that has occurred during the last 300 years since the peak of the Little Ice Age. The contention that human emissions are now the dominant influence on climate is simply a hypothesis, rather than a universally accepted scientific theory. It is therefore correct, indeed verging on the compulsory in the scientific tradition, to be skeptical of those who express certainty that the science is settled and the debate is over. But there is certainty beyond a reasonable doubt that CO2 is the building block for all life on Earth, and that without its presence in the global atmosphere at sufficient concentration, this would be a dead planet. Yet today our children and our publics are taught that CO2 is a toxic pollutant that will destroy life and bring civilization to its knees. Tonight I hope to turn this dangerous, human-caused propaganda on its head. Tonight I will demonstrate that human emissions of CO2 have already saved life on our planet from a very untimely end. Here is the supposed smoking gun of catastrophic climate change, the Keeling curve of CO2 concentration in the Earth's atmosphere since 1959. We presume CO2 was at 280 parts per million at the beginning of the industrial era before human activity could have caused a significant impact. 
I accept that most of the rise from 280 to 400 parts per million was caused by human CO2 emissions with the possibility that some of it is due to outgassing from continued warming of the oceans. Nassau tells us that carbon dioxide controls the Earth's temperature, period, in childlike denial of the many other factors involved in climate change. On the political front, the leaders of the G7 plan to, quote, end extreme poverty and hunger, unquote, by phasing out 85% of the world's energy supply, including 98% of the energy used to transport people and goods, including food. The world's top climate body, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, is hopelessly conflicted by its makeup and its mandate. The panel is composed solely of the World Meteorological Organization, weather forecasters, and the United Nations Environment Program, environmentalists. Both these organizations are focused primarily on short-term timescales, days to maybe a century or two. But the most significant conflict is with the panel's mandate from the United Nations. They are required only to focus on a change of climate which is attributed directly or indirectly to human activity that alters the composition of the atmosphere and which is in addition to natural climate variability. In other words, they are not mandated to look at anything natural that affects the climate, only human effects. So if the IPCC found that the climate was not being affected by human alteration of the atmosphere, or that it is not dangerous, there would be no need for them to exist. They are virtually mandated to find on the side of apocalypse. Scientific certainty, political pandering, a hopelessly conflicted IPCC, and now the Pope, spiritual leader of the Catholic Church, in a bold move to reinforce the concept of original sin, says the earth looks like, quote, an immense pile of filth, unquote, and we must phase out fossil fuels altogether, even for the poor. And then there is the actual immense pile of filth, fed to us more than three times a day by the green media nexus, a seething cauldron of imminent doom, as if we are already condemned to damnation in hell and there is little chance of redemption. I fear for the end of the Enlightenment. Coming closer to the present, we have learned from Antarctic ice cores that for the past 800,000 years, during the Pleistocene Ice Age, there have been quite regular periods of major glaciation followed by interglacial periods in 100,000-year cycles. These cycles coincide with the Milankovitch cycles that are tied to the eccentricity of the Earth's orbit and its axial tilt. It is highly plausible that these cycles are related to solar intensity and seasonal distribution of solar heat on the Earth's surface. There is a strong correlation between temperature and the level of atmospheric CO2 during these geologically fairly short successive glaciations, indicating a possible cause-effect relationship between the two. Carbon dioxide lags temperature by an average of 800 years during the most recent 400,000-year period, the one shown here, indicating that temperature is the cause, as the cause never comes after the effect. Looking at the past 50,000 years of temperature and CO2, we can see that changes in CO2 follow changes in temperature. This is as one would expect. 
as the Milankovitch cycles are far more likely to cause a change in temperature than a change in carbon dioxide. And a change in the temperature is far more likely to cause a change in carbon dioxide due to outgassing of CO2 from the oceans during warmer times and ingassing or absorption of CO2 during colder periods. Yet climate alarmists persist in insisting that CO2 is causing the change in temperature despite the illogical nature of that assertion. Carbon dioxide is the currency of life and the most important building block for all life on Earth. All life is carbon-based, including our own. Surely the carbon cycle and its central role as the foundation of life should be taught to our children, rather than the demonization of CO2 that carbon is a pollutant. We know for a fact that CO2 is essential and that it must be at a certain level in the atmosphere for the survival of plants, which are the primary food for all the other species alive today. Should we not encourage our citizens, students, teachers, politicians, and other leaders to celebrate CO2 as the giver of life that it is? It is a proven fact that plants, including trees and all our food crops, are capable of growing much faster at higher levels of CO2 than present in the atmosphere today. Even at today's concentration of 400 parts per million, 0.04 percent, four one-hundredths of one percent, are relatively starved for nutrition. The optimum level for, of CO2 for plant growth is about five times higher, 2,000 parts per million. Yet the alarmists warn it is already too high. They must be challenged every day by every person who knows the truth in this matter. CO2 is the giver of life, and we should celebrate CO2 rather than denigrate it as is the fashion today. We are witnessing the greening of the earth as higher levels of CO2, due to human emissions from the use of fossil fuels, promotes increased growth of plants around the world. This has been confirmed by scientists with CSIRO in Australia, in Germany in research forests, and in North America in wild forests. Only half of the CO2 we are emitting from the use of fossil fuels is showing up in the atmosphere. The balance is going somewhere else. And the best science says most of it is going into an increase in biomass of global plant life. What could be wrong with that as forests and agricultural crops become more productive? All the CO2 in the atmosphere has been created by outgassing from the Earth's core during massive volcanic eruptions. This was much more prevalent in the early history of the Earth when the core was hotter than it is today. During the past 150 million years, there has not been enough addition of CO2 to the atmosphere to offset the gradual loss due to burial of carbon in the sediments. Let's look at where all the carbon is in the world and how it's moving around. Today, at just over 400 parts per million, there are 850 billion tons of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. By comparison, when modern life evolved over 500 million years ago, there was nearly 15,000 billion tons of CO2 in the atmosphere, 17 times today's level. Plants and soils combined today account for more than 2,000 billion tons, more than twice as much as the entire global atmosphere. The oceans contain 38,000 billion tons of dissolved CO2, 45 times as much as in the atmosphere and fossil fuels, which are made from plants that pulled CO2 out of the atmosphere ages ago, account for between 5 and 10,000 billion tons 
therefore six to 12 times as much carbon as in, is in the atmosphere. Just speaking of fossil fuels, depending on how it's tallied, they account for between 85 to 88 percent of global energy consumption and more than 95 percent of the energy for the transport of people and goods. Yet the green movement insists that we should phase out all fossil fuels, shut down all nuclear plants, and stop building hydroelectric dams. It is obvious that this would be a thousand times more disastrous than a few degrees of warming if it ever happens. The climate alarmist so-called solution to their contrived climate catastrophe is as bankrupt as the claim that climate science is settled. You know, you couldn't possibly find an informed and educated view more diametrically opposed to that of Greta Thunberg's. Patrick Moore is not alone in holding this viewpoint on carbon dioxide. If you've been a long-time listener to Just Right, it's a view you would have heard reflected by numerous scientists heard in our many audio bites, as well as many who have appeared as guests on our show. The whole issue is a facade. It is fake news. It's predicated on the biggest lie of all, that anyone is denying climate change. This is the epistemological tactic to which I referred earlier. The term climate change, quote-unquote, on its own, merely suggests that climate changes. Nobody denies that. But when coming out of the mouths of collectivists, the term climate change includes a political component that demands that we take political action against changes in the weather. It demands an end to the use of fossil fuels. It demands that we tax the gas of life, CO2. It demands that we stop driving our cars. It demands that we stop eating meat. It demands that we switch to renewable energy sources, which are among the most polluting alternatives we could ever entertain. And it demands that we believe that CO2 is a pollutant. And when it comes to all of these evil demands, I'm not denying that they're being made. (laughs) I disagree with them in the full light of knowledge and morality. They are evil ideas. They're wrong scientifically and something I could never identify or oppose if I merely denied them. Why would I deny it when it's so easy to oppose? I am denying the right of others, those on the left, to impose their wrong ideas and evil ideologies on me or on anyone else. So enough with your denial arguments already. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to go on the offensive against all of this offensive BS and do exactly what Greta Thunberg has been doing. Morally challenge the climate change alarmists and terrorists by forcing them to answer the charge. I mean, their lies are so great that the kindest words we can find to respond to climate change alarmists, such as Greta Thunberg and Gwyn Dyer, are, How dare they! How dare they falsely proclaim that carbon dioxide is a pollutant when we know it's the gas that all life itself depends on? How dare they insist that the science is settled when there are so many scientists who clearly disagree but are prevented from expressing themselves? How dare they pretend that they're fighting climate change when we all know that climate always changes and given that fact, how would they ever know if they accomplished their goal? (laughs) Really, how would they know? Climate's always going to change. Temperature's going to go up and down. So how do they know if they've won or lost that cause? How dare they disguise the real socialist agenda as fighting climate change? 
when they've made it clear that they reject any capitalistic approaches to the problem. I mean, if you're really fighting climate change, wouldn't you entertain business solutions and technological solutions? No, they, they outright reject them. How dare they accuse anyone of being a climate change denier when no one denies this, as I've already pointed out. How dare they declare climate change to be an emergency when climate change is a perpetual phenomenon? That's why they do it, you know, because they can have a perpetual emergency and, and thereby justify anything and everything they want to do. Unaccountable. How dare they promote their propaganda by using children when this is a form of child abuse? How dare they demand that we check the science when to them facts don't matter and they don't even want to hear about any specific facts? How dare they propose silencing the voices of those who disagree with their collectivist notions? And how dare they terrify and frighten our school children with fictional climate change horror stories? In fact, my daughter Danielle just forwarded the following to my attention mere hours ago, and this is from the Weather Network of all places, dated March 7th, the headline reading, Eco-Anxiety is on the Rise. Here's what psychologists recommend, written by Mia Gordon, a reporter in British Columbia. A growing number of young people report that they are feeling stress or depression about climate change, reads the article. Fears of environmental collapse due to catastrophic floods, melting Arctic ice, and the increasing frequency of climate disasters have caused eco-anxiety to surge globally. In 2017, the American Psychological Association, APA, defined eco-anxiety as, quote, a chronic fear of environmental doom, end quote, and psychologists across Canada are seeing a growing number of young people report that they're feeling stress or depression about climate change. In an email to the Weather Network, the APA president, Dr. Sandra L. Schulman, says, quote, the natural disasters that we are experiencing are associated with a number of mental health problems, including anxiety and depression. As experts in human behavior, psychologists must be at the forefront of devising strategies to change the action by individuals, corporations, and governments that lead to climate change, end quote. <laughs> wow, that's like telling people who are psychologically dealing with a death in the family to resurrect the person who died. I can't possibly think of any worse advice. These people are crazy. And they're the psychologists. And they certainly are not offering psychological advice by advocating political activity. Hey, that's my job. And politically, we need to fight this mental aberration. Dr. Samras tells us that eco-anxiety is a very new field for psychologists. Oh, great. Now the Psychological Association has an invested interest in promoting climate change. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? Fardis Hassani, the former interim national CEO of the CMHA, adds that the climate emergency isn't just a question of how we will manage wildfires, soaring temperatures, or rising oceans, but a question of what we will do about rising despair and mental health impacts of climate trauma. The Canadian Mental Health Association's website has some suggestions on how to manage eco-anxiety. And get this. Number one. Let climate change guide the decisions you make. What you eat, how you travel, what you buy. Being in control of your own environmental footprint can counter powerlessness. Number two, talk about climate change in your own circles. Sharing can help diminish fear. Number three, be an activist. Get on board with a campaign or start your own group. Know you are not alone. 
Number four, reach out to governments and businesses to encourage them to take action now. Number five, go with hope instead of doom. Believe that it's not too late. End quote. And if that's not enough to drive you crazy, all I can add to that is by concluding, how dare they? So let's be daring ourselves. And one thing you can do to be daring is to make it a point to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be just last month, the UN Panel on Climate Change issued a stark warning to the world. Cut carbon pollution drastically in the next 12 years, or the planet will turn into some sort of dystopian hellmouth. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Nish, out of interest, do you do anything to help save the planet? Uh, yeah, I mean, I re recycle. Do you? Yeah. Well done. <laughs>